You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right, go ahead. What chapter do you think we're going to open to? Ephesians 4. I was going to say, because, you know, all of the time that I've been doing this, I always just seek God about what to share. And and I mean, as much as I can, I just follow what the Holy Spirit's putting on my heart. And that's what you get taught. Usually it's what the Lord's saying to me. And, and that's what we come in here with. It hardly ever lines up with the seasons properly. I mean, it's it's rare that I get a Christmas message at Christmas. It's always like, wow, I got a Christmas message, you know, or a an Easter message at Easter, or whenever we're supposed to do all these things. And once in a while it happens, it's just like an aligning of the stars, you know, and it happens. But so I was thinking about this and I was thinking the way that this is a Christmas message is that Jesus was born of a virgin and grew up and lived and ministered, died on the cross, was raised from the dead so that we can live a life worthy of our calling. Okay, so now it's a Christmas message. All right, so Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to try to just do a very short review because we've got a lot to get into this morning, uh, because next week I probably do need to do something related to Christmas. Um, It's all related to Christmas. He came. He came. What more is there to say? Um, So last week we were looking at, we looked at a bunch of verses, but we spent quite a bit of time uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 11, that was talking about the fact that God, that Jesus appointed, all right, some with grace to be apostles, right? It's on your screen, isn't it? Some with grace to be prophets, some with grace to be evangelists, some with grace to be pastors, some with grace to be teachers. Talked about that fivefold ministry. We talked about the fact through these verses that those gifts were given to every one of us. Even people who stand in one of those offices, we need to be feeding off of those offices. Those gifts are given so that we can grow to maturity, so that the body can be built up. We talked about this extensively last week. We talked about the fact that it is so important for every one of us to realize those offices are maybe that's too strong, they are a major component in how Jesus is building his church. He has given us those gifts in order so that we can draw on the grace that's in those lives, different flavors of grace, and we can pull that into our lives and something can be imparted to every one of us through those gifts. And we all know that there are a lot of, most of this happens, not all of it, but most of this, those gifts ministering to us, most of that happens in one form or another when we are gathered together as a body. It's not always a church service, but most of the time it is a gathering together. Most of us don't have uh, a, a fivefold prophet living in our house that just ministers to us, Okay. These gifts are given to the body so that we can be built up and strengthened and grow and so that the body can increase. And and the scripture says that those gifts are given 
to minister to all of us so that we can be fully and completely equipped to do the ministry that God's given to every one of us. We somehow have gotten into this idea, and I think it's been being broken for a number of years, maybe decades now. It's it's certainly been contested, but there are still so many believers that have the picture of we hire a fivefold minister to do. We hire an apostle to do apostolic ministry. We hire a prophet to do prophetic ministry. We hire an evangelist and so on. We hire a pastor. When you work in that system where you exempt yourself from the ministry God has given to every one of you, number one, you'll never uh, live a life worthy of what God has called you to, okay? Secondly, we rob the body of what? 99% of the ministry? Because only some are called to those offices. Most of us are not called to those offices, but all of us are supposed to receive from those offices. All right, there's grace on them. There's ability on them. There's, There's an impartation from the Lord of something that he has for us. So when we get into this hireling thing, when you have that hireling mentality that, oh, I hired you to do all of that. I go out and just work my secular job and I don't have a ministry. I hired a pastor to do that and he better do all of it. He better especially, I don't want to get off very far on this, do the stuff that's on my heart that I think should be done in the body. And you know, any of you have been around here for a while, you know that when you come to us with that, we get really excited because God, we do, because God has put something on your heart to do, a kind of ministry. And so our response is, let us help you do that. You need to do that, but let us let us strengthen you, encourage you, help you any way we can about dealing with people and all that kind of stuff and, and support you and pray for you. And you can come under this this covering and then go out there and do that ministry and about one in ten that's what they had in mind okay so but the body gets so robbed and I didn't mean to talk about any of this and I don't have time and the body gets robbed on that end of of you not getting to fulfill the grace that's on your life when we have that mentality also we end up with a bunch of hireling ministers we end up with a bunch of Men and women who have that same idea that, well, I was hired, I was hired to do this job. Boy, I'd better do it the way, not the way God is telling me to do it, but the way all the people who hired me are doing it. Otherwise, I might get fired, right? In this church, you can't fire us. I know some of you would love to be able to fire us, but you can't fire us. You can come, you can join, you can feel like this is your home, or you can find your home, you know, wherever it is. But we just don't function that way. And most of the churches we're associated with don't function that way. But when we misunderstand Ephesians 4.11, we lose this beautiful interconnected, based on the grace of God flowing through people, way that Jesus establishes and builds his church. We lose it all. And it's just sad. It's it's just really and truly sad. So let me just wrap this up because we need to get into some new stuff this morning. We talked about those gifts. I'm going to leave it to you to go back and get last week's teaching. We talked about what flavor each of them is, what each of them, they each have a different passion and a different direction. 
And they are not called just to do that ministry. They do do that ministry, but they are called to impart some of that same grace into every one of us. Every one of us can have a flavor of the apostolic, a flavor of the, of the prophetic, the evangelistic, the pastoral, and the teaching. We can have that flavor working in us. All right, does that make sense to you? All right, so uh, again, if, uh, if you need more on that, go back to last week. I'm going to skip forward a couple of, couple of things here. So let's jump down to verse 14 this week. And let's talk about, so where does all of that take us? What is the end game? Where are we supposed to be going? And in verse 14, um, well, let me back up. So those gifts are given. I'm going to start in verse 12. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until, so here it starts, we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Are we there yet? No. Okay, so that means all of those five gifts are still active and still relevant. All right? You may, and I say that because some of you were brought up in a situation where you were told, oh, no, the apostle and the prophet have passed away. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us that, and there are verses like this that tell us specifically that's not true. Okay? So all five of those gifts are still relevant. Just like over in 1 Corinthians, we can find that all of the gifts of the Spirit are still relevant until we know Jesus to the depth that he knows us, the gifts of the Spirit will still be falling in the church. Okay, so we see here that uh, these gifts are given so that we can become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14 begins to describe to us what maturity in Christ looks like, or at least part of it. Okay, it says, Then we will no longer be infants. We will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead... Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part, again, does its work. All right, so let's break this break this down a little bit. So he says, then when we're receiving this ministry and, and the body is functioning like it should, it says, then we will no longer be infants, all right? So when we start talking about Christian maturity, I mean, the first thing that I notice, we do know that Christian maturity speaks of character. It's changed character, changed hearts in us in a number of different ways. But the first thing I notice here is that it doesn't go into, uh, when you receive all of that ministry, then you will know the Bible better than you did before. It'll be, it'll be how much Bible knowledge do you have? That's Christian maturity. It doesn't say that. And Bible knowledge is a good thing, by the way. It doesn't say that moving in the gifts of the Spirit and working miracles is a sign of maturity. 
doesn't say that anywhere in the New Testament. And I'm a big believer in moving in the gifts of the Spirit and miracles and signs and wonders following believers. It's just not a, a mark of maturity. In fact, I mean, most Bible scholars believe that the church in Corinth, who had so many gifts flowing that it was totally out of order and Paul had to come back and bring correction, that that church with all those gifts flowing was one of the most immature churches as far as sin and everything else went. And I don't understand that, but it's true. You can flow in the gifts of the Spirit and not be mature in God. Or you can flow in the gifts of the Spirit and be mature in God, but it's not a sign that you are mature in God. And a lot of times, that's what we do as believers. We look forward. We're not sensitive to what we talked about last week, to that grace flowing out of somebody, that that they have a grace flowing out of them and that God in us is leaning us into that grace and that ministry and and what what they're bringing. And, and that connection isn't happening. Instead, we're just looking for, well, that, that ministry has a, a lot of Bible knowledge or that ministry is flowing in a lot of miracles. There needs to be, those are good things, but there needs to be more to it than that. This, these verses say at this point, you will no longer be children. And, and that's the, it's a Greek word, nepios. Uh, it means, this is what it's describing, infants who can't speak yet. Okay, so I mean really small infants before they can talk that young. It says you will no longer be infants. All right, it describes sucklings who can't digest solid food. So we know from other verses that that relates to people who just want what we call the milk of the word, just the real light, friendly, fuzzy stuff. Okay, Uh, they, They just want that. They can't digest stronger teaching that maybe challenges us, you know, to have to change in our lives. Okay, so so it says you'll you'll no longer be infants, kids who can't speak yet, sucklings who can't digest solid food, uh, infants who another element is they need continual care. Okay, they need continual care. They're not. It's it's saying that that will grow beyond needing continual care. It doesn't mean we don't need relationship with the body, but we will start caring for others. All right. This speaks of infants, I love this part, that need frequent diaper changes. Okay? Frequent diaper changes. You all know how that works with infants, right? They need that kind of care. There's awful stuff that comes out, and they need somebody else to take care of that for them. Okay? And and so this Greek word speaks of that. It's what's it's what the age we're talking about. So what this word is not is it's not. Children, we have the word children many times, and we've talked to you about this, that is the Greek word huios, which means an adult child who participates in the business with the father. They represent the father. They make decisions in the business. They they are adult children who are partnering with the father in his business. Okay, So what this is talking about is, as we receive this, we'll no longer be babies. Okay, We will grow up beyond that. And what this looks like, and we're going to see this as we go on, these verses identify that kind of maturity as developing a firm, stable foundation in the Word of God. All right? We know what we believe. We're not tossed back and forth. 
by every idea that comes along, whether it's a secular idea that we mistake as a spiritual idea or whether it's a teaching. There's lots of teaching out there that doesn't line up with the word. There's lots of teaching that does line up with the word. And as we grow up, we can know the difference. We can become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Bible says that we have an unction from the Holy One to know the difference between truth and error. Something goes off in here when we hear things. We might not have any idea why it doesn't line up with the word. We just know that there's a red flag going up in my spirit when I hear that. And with that, I don't automatically reject it, but I also don't eat it, okay? I'm going to take that thing to the Father and say, Lord, is this just a different teaching that I've never heard? And so it's challenging me and challenging something that I've believed that needs to change. Or is this not right? Is this not from you? And the Holy Spirit is your guide and your counselor who will lead you through uh, those, those issues as they come up. Okay? But we are to develop a firm, stable foundation in the word that expresses itself in words and actions that flow from love. Does that make sense? We, but we have a foundation. We are not tossed back and forth. The implication here is it's perfectly acceptable for believers to start out as infants. Perfectly acceptable. In fact, it's mandatory. This is another mistake we've made so often in the church is if a famous person gets born again, we want to throw them right up into some spiritual position. We want to take their fame and leverage it. And I think a lot of times we've done this with an honest heart, but we want to leverage their fame and their uh, voice okay, to get the gospel out there. Problem is that person is a spiritual infant if they just got born again. I don't care how smart they are. I don't care how many degrees they have in the earth. I don't care how much influence they have. I don't care who they are. This is spiritual. This is the kingdom of God. We are all, when we come to Jesus, we are born again. We come into the kingdom as infants, every one of us. And we need to be discipled. We need to grow in that. And I could, I'm not going to take the time to do it this morning, but I mean, I can remember all the way back into the early 70s, there was a lot of this went on. It, it goes on all the time. It's gone on forever. But I remember Bob Dylan coming to the Lord and getting born again, starting to write Christian music and all that. Didn't last very long at all because he's thrown up into a position that he's not spiritually ready to handle the attacks that come from the devil toward that person. And he, his faith, I don't know where, I mean, I have no idea how it ended up, but his faith was just shipwrecked within just a short time. And we've seen that with a number of um, celebrities and that kind of people. We have to understand it's perfectly acceptable. It's normal. It's mandatory that every one of us come into this as babies. And that's great. This scripture is just saying you don't have to stay there. Okay. You can grow from a what was it? Nepios to a huios. Okay. That should be our goal. Nepios to huios. We should make bumper stickers like that, that with a little arrow 
people would really wonder for good reason. Okay. So, um, and let me just say this while I'm right here. Um, Sadly, there are, we run into a number of cases where when the word of God challenges us to change and grow, or when, uh, when we when we teach like this that all of us need to grow and that all of us are in a process of growth and by the way we will be for our entire life that's the other thing about christian maturity it's a process forever when we see him face to face it says we'll be like him okay in the meantime we'll be getting more like him as we have face to face encounters with him whether with his word or worship or whatever we'll be growing but this is a process. Maturity in the Christian sense, I guess, I guess in the natural, we could we could set a bar and say this is maturity. In the Christian sense, you can. It's a growth process. You know, we're all going to be continuing in this for our whole life until either Jesus comes back or we go to him one way or the other. This thing isn't going to be over. Okay. So there is no shame in the idea that you or I need to grow and change that we don't understand something, that we still have a sin issue, that we're, there's no shame in that. This is the Christian life. This is why the Holy Spirit was sent, to, to be right there personally coaching us toward maturity, toward growth, toward change. The one total constant, aside from the Lord himself, in the Christian life is change. It is, it all, you know, we've said it for years, living things grow and growing things change so if you're not changing you're probably not growing if you're not growing where's the life you know if if the life of god is working in us we're going to be changing so it always makes me very sad to hear that when sometimes we teach these kinds of things that people feel shame they feel rejected they feel like we're saying they're no good we're not saying that We're saying all of us come into this as babies, grow up as children, and and different areas in our life, we can be growing in a lot of maturity in this area, still falling in this area. That's that's the way this works. Okay, does that make sense to you? All right, so no shame in needing to change. All right, so it says at this point that we will, as we give ourselves these ministries, we will no longer be tossed back and forth. That means wavering, vacillating, untrained, unsure of what we believe, not able to take a solid stance on truth, all right, but remaining open to and a lot of times just seeking whatever the newest teaching is, whatever the newest word is. And and so this is a part of growing in maturity. We, We are able to take a stand on the word that God has revealed to us now in our life, all right? We're able to take a stand. We live in this postmodern culture that's filled with ideas that come from relativism, meaning there is no objective truth that applies to all people at all times. All right, that's what that's the basis of relativism. There is no 
objective truth. That statement, there is no absolute truth. That statement is a statement of absolute truth. If you're saying there is no absolute truth, you're saying there's absolutely no absolute truth. So you've just contradicted yourself. Nevertheless, we are living in this culture that we think that every opinion, in fact, we think we're hateful. I say we, it's it's not me, <laughs> okay? I hope it's not you. People think others are hateful if they don't feel that every opinion is of equal value. Every opinion isn't of equal value. God's opinion is of much greater value than any of our opinions. As human beings, we need to learn to respect one another and love one another, even when we vehemently disagree with one another, okay? But if we're in this position where well, I can't ever question. If somebody said it, then I, I just can't ever question that. Well, yeah, you better question that. The word of God needs to be our foundation. Not what I say, not what you say, not what the most famous preacher in the earth says. Those are all great to take hold of and evaluate by the Holy Spirit and the word of God. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. You can know when a prophecy isn't right. You can know when something isn't right and you don't have to reject the person that gave it. That's a wonderful part. We don't have to put people in pits and stone them this side of the cross because they gave a false prophecy. It's awesome. We get to forgive. We get to encourage. We get to bring accountability to one another and all grow in this together. It's a wonder. I'm really glad I live on this side of the cross. But we as people, as Christians, need to have firmly held convictions based on the word of God. And let me say this to you. Um, just try and stay with me here. Um, there are, we have to look at the word of God in a way to where we see that there are absolutes of scripture. God is God. He is one God. There are not many gods. He is the creator he sent his son, Jesus Christ is the son of God. He sent his son to this earth to redeem mankind, to die on the cross, raised from the dead. And in him and in him alone, there is an avenue to relationship with God. There is, there is salvation found only in the name of Jesus. Those are absolutes. The scripture teaches them without any uh, vagueness, okay? So where the scripture is absolute and it's obvious that this is what it's saying, we need to believe and take a stand on that. That's what I believe. I don't hate people that don't believe that, but I won't be talked out of it by somebody who doesn't believe that. Or, you know, anyway. So there are absolutes of scripture. All right. Then there are interpretations that we have where the scripture doesn't give us as clear a picture but we can put a few scriptures together. And to me, it looks like this is what God's saying. I'm pretty sure about those, but I won't fall out with it. And, and we can, you know, sometimes we talk about those as interpretations, sometimes deductions. But the idea is, and the end times deal is a real good example of that. There are people that have, they can give you a list of scriptures as to why the rapture is happening uh, before Jesus returns. 
there are a whole bunch of people that can, not before, as, as Jesus returns, before the tribulation. Thank you for that laughter. Um, there, are, there are people that believe that the rapture is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. And they can give you a whole list of scriptures. And it makes sense. And there are people that believe it's going to, we're going to go all the way through the tribulation and then the rapture is going to happen. And then there are people that believe there are going to be three raptures. Okay? All of them have scriptures to back it up. Why? Because it apparently wasn't God's main point in life for us to know the day or the hour that he's coming. And, and so if we get off spending, it's, it's fine to look into that kind of stuff. But if we get too dogmatic about these things and start separating ourselves from other believers because we hold this or that uh, picture, it's just not wise. It's just not wise. But where the absolutes are concerned or where I've experienced something in God, he is the healer. He absolutely wants every one of us to carry his healing to other people. He is our great shepherd. He is who he has said he is. He has a nature that we can see in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. So in all of those things, I can establish a confident stance. I still don't have to be ugly with other people about it. But what I'm trying to get across is that so many of us, we feel we're intimidated by the idea of holding a solid belief. And yet the scripture tells us that's a part of maturity, is holding a solid belief. And now I'll throw this in and just mess you all up. So we hold these solid beliefs before God. We, we receive them from him. He opens his word to us. We stand on them. We believe them. And sometimes we're still wrong. And sometimes, so I'm not saying once you have a solid belief, other than the absolute absolutes, okay? I don't, I don't see being shaken off of that. But there are things I'm at, I've been very confident about, whether it's about faith or about how we're supposed to operate and the gifts or different things. At one point, I was very confident in my life about it. Then the Lord started showing me some other things and I had to loosen up a little. I haven't abandoned that belief. Is this making sense to anybody? I haven't abandoned that, but I'm still flexible before God for him to add to it, show me something more, show me a little different tweak about that. So I'm not saying we get so rigid that we can never receive anything else, but we're not people who are just being blown back and forth. We hear something one day and, oh, that sounds really good. And I'm excited about that. And then we hear something else the next day and, oh, I'm abandoning that and I'm going for this. And then pretty soon those people get discouraged and they think there's just no way to know what to believe. And that's not true. A part of this maturity is this idea we're no longer tossed back and forth, okay? We don't have to be afraid to hold fast to what God has shown us. Let me read you some different verses. Um, we're getting pretty close here. Let me, let me read you. I want to read you several verses. I don't have them for you on your screen. I just want to encourage you that it's okay to have strongly held beliefs, even if the whole internet disagrees with you, okay? Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Paul's just come through talking about how he wants to make pursuing knowing God the absolute primary pursuit in his life. And in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained all of this. In other words, 
I, I haven't obtained a perfect knowledge of God yet or have already been made perfect. In other words, I'm not perfectly mature, but, okay, given all of that, I'm not perfectly mature. I haven't reached my goal yet, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. It's really strong language there. Pressed on is to pursue after with all of your might, be stretched out, uh, to take hold. And that word a lot of times is the word apprehend. You know, we usually think of that in a law enforcement situation where you are apprehended, handcuffed, thrown in the back of the car, right? And and not that any of us have ever been there, but, you know, I mean, it's... And so Paul is saying, I am stretched out in hard pursuit to grab hold of, take possession of, and make my own what Jesus took hold of me for, my purpose, my, you know, what God has for me. So it's, he's saying, I want to take hold of that. I want to hold it fast. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining forward to what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. So there's a situation where he's saying, I take hold, all right? I will take hold, all right? Um, in verse, I believe it's that same chapter uh, in Philippians. Actually, I didn't write it down. It's verses 15 and 16, somewhere in your Bible. It says, all of us, I think it's Philippians 3, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things, meaning press on to take hold. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. That's a great verse. If you just think about it for a while, and that is Philippians 3, 15 and 16. Uh, if you think about that, it covers all the bases. It says if there's some point where I don't understand, some of us think we have to fully, fully understand every detail of something before we can start to stand on it. It's just not true. God's so big. He's going to keep showing us things. So if there's something different, if I'm grabbing, I'm afraid to grab hold of anything because what if I'm wrong? Well, you probably will be to some degree. But God is faithful and he will continue to show you the way. If you don't, if you are unwilling to grab hold of a belief because somebody else might believe something different, you're never going to take hold of anything. You're, you're just going to go through life in a mess. So he says, God will make these things clear to us. Only let us live up to, let us hang on to, let us incorporate and do the things that we have already gotten, that we've already attained. First Philippians, I'm sorry, first Philippians. <laughs> uh, I even slept last night. First Thessalonians. 521. Okay, First Thessalonians 521. It says, test and prove all things until you can recognize what is good and to that hold fast. Okay, test and prove all things. Take them before the Lord. Pray over them until you can discern this, this is the heart of God. But then Hold fast, take hold of it, stand on it. Don't let it be torn 
easily out of your hands. Okay? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions and instructions which you were taught by us, whether by our word of mouth or by letter. Stand firm and hold fast. Don't be wishy-washy on the word. Don't let it just be taken out of your life. Don't feel guilty about having a belief. All right? We are in such a strong tide and current of this relativism. It is going to be in a lot of the conversations you have, a lot of the way people do business, every movie, every television show, every every uh, statement, it seems, that's out there is somehow flowing out of this idea that it's wrong for you to hold a strong opinion, all right? Because there's all these opinions, and everybody's opinion is true. No, only God's opinion is true, and ours when we line up with it. All right, let me give you another one. Second Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Hold fast. Again, this means apprehend, take personal possession, a personal possession, make it yours. Hold fast and follow the pattern of wholesome and sound teaching, which you have heard from me in all the faith and love which are for us in Christ Jesus. So we do this in faith and love, okay? Guard and keep with the greatest care the precious and excellently adapted truth which has been entrusted to you by the help of the Holy Spirit who makes his home in us. Wow, we could teach all day on that one verse. So many facets. I really encourage you to write some of these down and meditate on them this week. Again, hold fast means to take personal possession of. Don't let it be lost or stolen. Here's another one, 1 Timothy 3.15. This describes the church. The household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and stay, the prop and support of the truth. This is what the church is supposed to be. The pillar and stay, the prop and support of the truth. This is what the church is supposed to be. If we're not going to be the pillar and stay of the truth in the earth, who is? Who is? We have to know, believe, stand in the truth. Um, let's just let's just wrap this up. I've, I've got some more of those, but let's just wrap this up. The next verse back there in Ephesians, next two verses, it says, instead, instead of being blown around by every wind, believing every lie that comes your way, instead of all that, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. So this whole idea, you know, I mean, I think, we, I think we've all wrestled a little bit with these verses. This whole idea that truth and love are contrary to each other is absolutely, again, it's just not true. Perfect truth and justice and perfect love and mercy coexist perfectly in Jesus Christ. 
He carries both, and he can carry both through us. Again, one of the ideas that's out there is if you stand for truth, you're not loving people. That the way to love people is to affirm their sin, to affirm a lifestyle that is going to destroy their lives. If not, uh, it will bring it will bring destruction in this life. But if not, if we're letting people go to hell because we want them to like us, or we don't want to be contrary, or or we haven't we just haven't learned, which is a part of maturity, learning how to have a conversation in love with someone where we present the truth. It doesn't always have to be, for some people, anything feels like contradiction. You need to get with God and grow past that to where you can have a a conversation with someone and you can communicate to them the heart of God, letting someone just stay in in their sin and never confronting that and especially stepping out and affirming that that's not love. That's like letting your kid play in the highway and not running out to rescue him. I mean, you either don't believe that sin is destructive or, you know, you've just been raised in a situation where where you feel that any kind of confrontation, you just can't do it. And I understand that, but you can grow out of that, okay? Because even the word confrontation, honestly, it doesn't even fit there. It doesn't have to be confrontational. We need, to, we need to learn how to first just start praying for somebody and let the love of God really invade our heart for somebody when we see destructive behaviors in them. Maybe your role is just to pray for them. It may not be to, to go and confront them verbally, but as if you can just start loving people and just start building a relationship, there's a very good chance that at a point and over a period of time, you'll be able to get to that issue and you'll be able to bring God's heart to them. Or you may never have to confront that issue. You may just bring them to the Lord and let him do it in his time. My point is that we need to learn how to communicate truth and we need to believe that communicating truth can be one of the greatest um, avenues, one of the greatest demonstrations of love that there is. God didn't leave us here just ignorant of what would destroy our lives. He confronts us with it. He lets us know. And I realize there's a lot of nuance to this. And, you know, I don't have time really this morning to go all through all of that. But I do, if you're, if you in your heart are buying into that cultural deal that, you know, love just means telling everybody how wonderful their life is, we're just killing people doing that. I mean, we're just a part of the problem if we're doing that. So we got to grow out of that. And I know it's a process and I know there's, you know, we've all got different backgrounds. That's why we have a coach. Every one of us who knows us, knows what his ministry for us is, knows who we're wanting to deal with. And he wants to birth his own love, ground us in the truth, birth his love, move us along, grow us up in whatever needs to be grown up so that we can reach people for the Lord. That is at least a part of the picture of Christian maturity. Okay, does that make sense? Did you get anything? Let's pray. Father, Lord, this morning, I just, I don't know why I feel, I just feel so passionate about this, Lord, that your church 
needs to be effectively the pillar and stay of the truth. And we need to do it wrapped in your love, just like you do. So, Father, I am asking for anyone who's willing to give themselves to this. Father, we know your heart is to lead us and to grow us and to change us. And, Father, we just want to step out and and try to be. Lord, we just want to take the next step. Lord, and, and step out, Father. Stand on the truth. Step out to minister to people. And we invite you, Lord, to to correct us where we need correcting and grow us where we need growing and remove fears from our lives that are hindering your ministry through us. But Lord, I know your church is to be in this earth being effective and bringing people to life. Lord, bringing people to life. So Father, I just pray, Lord, that I just thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit growing every one of us in this. Ask you to continue to to. Uh, nurture these words, these scriptures that we have looked at this morning, Lord, to bring us revelation from them, to stir them up in our hearts, Father, as we go on and we go out into this community as your church this week, Father. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand up. We're going to be dismissed. What time is it? 10.53. Another seven minutes. And I get those back a hundredfold. So had one just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's a, I know people remind me of that. There's a lot of debt there. All right. So you guys go out there and be the church. Let's say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin of the world. And we'll be dismissed. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.